0: Thank <laughs> you. Hello, everyone. My name is Rosemary Eldridge, and I'm with the Catholic Information Center, and I could not be more excited to be here with Professor Mark Rignaris to discuss his new book, The Future of Christian Marriage. Now, Mark is a professor of sociology at the University of Texas in Austin, and you can learn more about his esteemed career and his previous publications by reading the video description below. Now I know none of you are here for my opinion on the current state of marriage. So Mark, why don't you take the screen and tell us what the future of Christian marriage is?
1: Sure, happy to do it. Thanks, Rosemary. Um, So I published a book in the middle of a pandemic and uh, while a pandemic is a great time to read books, it's not a great time to try to sell books. Uh, So it's called The Future of Christian Marriage came out in September. Um, And I'd be happy to tell you a little bit about what's in it, uh, enough to wet your whistle, perhaps to purchase it or acquire it or borrow it uh, from a friend. So the book is uh, about the kind of the, the marital impulse and essentially the waning marital impulse. I started it a few years ago after I finished the last book, which is called Cheap Sex. And, you know, cheap sex is kind of a depressing topic and theme. Um, and so after that I, I, I wandered around wanting to know whether there was good news out there and so I, I, and I didn't want it to limit to, to the United States because I kind of thought I had figured out what this marriage situation was in the United States but I wanted to sort of focus on Christians because I hadn't done that in quite some time I was trained as a sociologist of religion but hadn't been actively studying it lately so refocus on Christians, and get out of the country, and, and see a little bit of what else is going on, see if there are any good ideas uh, elsewhere, or if some of the things that we have produced uh, culturally here in the United States have just, just been exported, and you know, what we see is what we get elsewhere. So I wanted to know about that. So I pulled together a study of church-going Christians, um modestly defined as people who are uh, active in their church and attend roughly once a week we made an exception for the russians i don't know if you've ever been to a russian orthodox service but uh it's it's quite an event and it takes a long time and you have to stand for it it's like going to latin mass for two hours but standing right uh there's some stools in the corner for little ladies but uh, i wasn't you know i'd be embarrassed to have sat down so Russians often will go less than once uh, a week, you know, more like once a month. So we included those in there, uh, but otherwise we collected data from people in the United States, evangelicals and Catholics by and large, uh, Spain, Poland, Russia, Lebanon, Nigeria, and Mexico, kind of get the broad spectrum of, of Christian types and denominations um, and kind of a, a spectrum of the, the, the Christian world. SANS Asia, that was one of my sadnesses. We had set up to get some data from India and it just didn't work out. Okay, so that's uh, what the data was. We collected it in, I think it was 2016, 17, and thereabouts. Um, Mostly qualitative interviews, roughly lasting an hour, with about 30 or so people per site, a couple hundred in total. so I wrote it to try to figure out like what's going on with this this waning marital impulse and see if it's waning elsewhere. Um, but there's certainly a, this conventional wisdom that marriage is in decline. Um, there's also kind of this conventional wisdom, which is roughly incorrect, that, that divorce is rising. Uh, that's kind of plateaued and started downward. But it's just like people aren't getting together, right? The marriage rates are down. Therefore, the divorces rates are down as well. In the West, we have this just kind sort of general colossal delay going on, um, probably since around 1980 or into the 70s. I know in the United States, uh, the, the share of uh, adults in the kind of sweet spot of marriage, you know, early to mid 20s, the early to mid 30s, has dropped a percentage point a year for the last 40 years. And it certainly has affected the Christian church as well. Um, In 1965, in terms of Roman Catholics, we were doing nine Catholic weddings for every 10 funerals, Uh, you know, but you only bury one person and you marry two. So it was a net gain, 9.65. Fast forward to 2017, that ratio had dipped down to 3.7 per 10. So 3.7 weddings, marrying 7.4 people. Uh, but varying ten, so it's, it's we're at a, a, a status of net loss uh, consistently. Um, but I make a claim in the book that it's not that marriage has radically changed, although people think it has. Right? I'll I'll, I'll go into detail here though, uh, about like what has actually changed about it. I don't think the institution fundamentally operates differently. What people expect of it may operate differently. Uh, So I make the argument that it's not so much changing as it is receding, right? Fewer people want it in an era of increasing technology, distraction, entertainment, gender equality, and secularization. I mean, we're just kind of um, voting with our feet, walking away from it, stalling it, um, saying, ah, we can get around to that later. So why is marriage slowing? Okay. I, I, I make the argument in the book uh, in consonance with other sociologists that it's not so much that, that marriage itself fundamentally works differently in our lives, but that we think about how to enter it and when to enter it with a very different set of, uh, of lenses now. Uh, Andy Cherlin, professor of sociology up the road from, from you all, uh, in and, Baltimore at Johns Hopkins makes the argument that, uh, we now think of marriage as capstone, right? That, uh, it's kind of like a reward for a well-lived young adulthood. That's a, a pretty good change away from thinking of marriage as a foundation, right? The kind of thing like you enter it in order to accomplish adult life together. Uh, it's not that nobody does that. I mean, I, I've been to a couple uh, weddings this summer, scandalously in person, uh, where, but wonderfully so, where the bride and the groom are you know, 22, 23, okay? Fresh out of college, as I was 27 and a half years ago. So they're obviously, they're entering kind of a foundation. They're gonna experience life together the difficulties, which you know, when you're 22 is going to be sort of, you're not going to be rich unless you're being underwritten, which most of us aren't. But that's a different kind of model than the, the capstone, which is by and, and large uh, the dominant mode, right? We think like, OK, we're out of college. We didn't get serious in college because college is not the time to get serious, even though it is actually the time when you're going to meet the most people of your roughly the same age. Um, so now we have to get in a career, establish ourselves, get some savings, advance. So then we, we work to become something that somebody else would admire and want and swipe right on, I guess, right? So marriage now kind of means something different, right? It's, it's about, ah, here's, a, here's this thing that we still want but it's meant to sort of safeguard our independence and it's supposed to feel like we want it to feel um, rather than sort of safeguard interdependence, right? Cause you know, we kind of, we don't want dependence, right? Because the foundation model is, lends itself to a little bit more dependence of one spouse on the other. And a lot of people, you know, they're worried about that. It feels very unsafe, unsecure. And frankly, um, parents worry about that, especially for their daughters. They don't like the idea of their daughter being dependent on somebody uh, increasingly. So, so, but you think about the capstone is a very different idea. It's like, uh, you know, it's the capstone. It's like the icing on the cake. The last thing you do, right? It's not the foundation. It's not the first thing that you do that you build from. It's the last thing. Foundation makes, means that like, like, this thing is essential for operating. Capstone, you know, capstones aren't essential for operating. So it means it makes marriage in some ways more voluntary, less expected, um, more of an accessory. And I'm not trying to diss that kind of marriage. You know, that's the, the modal type today. Um, And there's lots of very good marriages that are like that. Uh, But I'm just saying, we think quite a bit differently about marriage today than we used to, in part because of that. However, um, sociologists and economists will also sort of look at this and say, uh, now, you know, people just don't marry until they're financially ready, right? Um, And I'm not looking back at my own marriage as something to, to necessarily emulate. But uh, I remember my, my father-in-law, who is a, a corporate uh, mid-level exec at Montgomery Ward in Chicago back in the day, you know, I was, uh, I wasn't Catholic at the time. Um, I was going to be a Protestant minister. And basically I, my in-laws took a chance on me, okay. Because they thought ah, he's got potential, right. <laughs> he doesn't have much yet, but uh, he's a good enough guy for our daughter, right. Whereas the mentality today is, is much more like, I've got to prove myself first. I've got to become somebody. However, this turns marriage into a luxury good. And I think we've got to, in the Christian church, come to grips with the, the sort of gravity of this notion. Marriage as a luxury item. Okay? It doesn't mean that, oh, the working class and the poor can't get married. They can't. But really, you know, they have bought into the same mentality, the capstone mentality that everybody has because marriage in the West is kind of packaged in the same way. Frankly, whether you are Christian or not Christian, uh, whether you're rich or poor, educated or less educated, people kind of have in mind what it ought to look like and feel like. And if, it, if the conditions aren't ripe right for that, then they'll say, well, I, I don't think we can do this. So it means we've got uh, a problem, um, a particular problem in, in the Christian church, but a problem socially, because marriage is a good for, for, for most. Marriage, I, I say in the book, it's, like, it's become, a, I'd say the social justice issue of our time. Uh, I don't think that's gonna make it far <laughs> uh politically these days but i'm convinced that it's true you think about lots of the things that are going on in the united states and how the lack of stable family that ends in people's lives plays a indirect or sometimes even direct role in where we're at okay um whether it's uh some brokenness on the left or brokenness on the right which we've been seeing in the last week, there's often the story of family destruction, uh, and marital destruction in that. And so I, I really think marriage is a, a social justice issue, uh, an essential one. Try selling that to Capitol Hill, but that's, uh, that's, that part is not my job as a sociologist. So now what's causing this downturn? Historically, you know, people would say, oh, is, you know, What's men's earnings, right? Because men marriage has always been tied to some extent with like his baseline ability to earn, even if it's just sort of in your potential, like it was with me. I'd say it's not really so much a matter of men's earnings anymore, although men are hardly, you know, impressing, uh, uh, you know, in terms of their economic um, uh, opportunity, but. It's not just that, it's that we have added lots of other things to what we would call marriageability. I mean, marriageability is like, you know, once upon a time, it was, can he farm and will he uh, treat her well? Now it's like, there's, there's a lot of requirements to this. You know, We hear a lot more lately about sort of political requirements. Like I can never date a Democrat or I can never date a Republican. Like, there's all manner of things, personality, fit, et cetera, religious fit, um, our standards have changed and they have risen in part because um, women no longer really need to marry, right? So I are talking about marriageability. Marriageability largely was applied to men. Uh, now it's more of a two-way street. What, do, what does he want? What does she want? And does the other person fit that? So we inhabit now this kind of atmosphere of what uh, uh, an old Harvard sociologist back in the 30s, uh, Carl Zimmerman, called uh, atomism, uh, A-T-O-M, atomism, like sort of a radical isolationism. Uh, COVID era can kind of reinforce that. You know, Some of us are almost isolated by personality, so it didn't bother us that much. But uh, socially it's like, it's, it's a major problem not to be around other people. Um, so we have this at, atomistic atmosphere um, where we're kind of isolates trying to get together because we still want love, but we have these high material expectations and high psychological expectations for what marriage ought to look like, ought to feel like. Um, and that propels us into this sort of combine that with the technology and social media and the sort of saturation and options and we've got this sort of epidemic of uncertainty which is the title of uh, chapter uh, five of this book uncertainty um, I talk about options you know technology etc now so in this atm- atomistic atmosphere um, we've We've just got so much choice, right? Back, uh, and to use myself as an example, not an exemplar, but as an example. Uh, I met my wife in college, 1989, pre-internet era, probably a good thing. Um, I didn't uh, have a lot of options, okay? Which is not to say uh, she's not great, she is. Um, but I really thought if you know if I wasn't gonna make it work with her, there was maybe one other girl who might might like me. Okay, <laughs> it's like you think, oh, that's a tough situation. Actually, I think it's a situation that clarifies things. We're well, we're not in that kind of world anymore. We've got uh, so many people kind of semi pseudo communicating with each other via dating apps, etc., lending itself to this. Idea—it's kind of a false idea of of like, oh, I, we can make it work with a lots of people, which technically is true. But when you have a lot of options, you get very picky fairly quickly. Uh, so such that people often don't even meet somebody for the first time because you already make snap judgments about them. You swipe uh, left on a lot of people. Uh, you know, some of that will probably make sense. But I think a lot of people don't even get a first chance today. Um, which creates this sort of environment of, uh, of great uncertainty and almost stultifying anxiety. I talk about the book, I uh, interviewed this fellow, a doctor in Spain. Uh, doctors in Spain don't make quite as much money as they do here, but still, it's a pretty good profession. He's about to get married to another doctor. Um, you know, I, and I met, I met them both. She was pretty attractive. Uh, and he was really, frankly, not, uh, kind of large, uh, curly red hair. Like I thought, you know, (laughs) she could do better than you, dude. Um, but he was the one who was, who was, you know, paranoid that he was making the wrong choice. Um, he'd been dating her for six years. And I said, dude, you, you, you've, you've known her for six years, (laughs) You, you know, we, we talk about like seeing somebody through the, the four seasons for at least a year. It's like he's seen her for the 24 seasons and he's still anxious about, well, well, well what, if, what if it's different in, inside marriage? Uh, what if something happens? Like, what if, what if, what if? And so it's a it's a stultifying uncertainty that sort of uh, saturates the uh, Western, I'd say marriage market, including in the church. So it makes delay more of this sort of, Seemingly rational response to uncertainty than acceleration, um, because it, you probably didn't think about it. Like, if you're uncertain, you better s- stall, right? Well, on the other hand, like, if you're uncertain, marry and make it work, um, because there's two kinds of. Sorry, I, economists can call it match quality. Uh, one is. The thing that we're very used to is, uh, we call it exogenous or external match quality. It's when you, you know, it's what we're used to with um, dating services. You know, They know a little bit about us. They plug us into the algorithm and they say, oh, you would match well with such and such whom we've never met. Um, which is a different kind of match quality. What you get before you even get in. Different kind than Exogenous, or I'm sorry, endogenous, or inside the match quality, Uh, which, you know, if if you were in an arranged marriage, which we don't do in the United States, can't really do. It's not a social support for it. Um, Once you're inside, you will the good of the other, right? You will the good of the marriage and you're gonna make this work, right? I'm convinced that lots of marriages that are failing are perfectly able to be rescued if they have the will of two people who want it to make it work. That's, that's the match quality that you can make inside of it, okay? Uh, so uncertainty could lead us uh, to delay, but it just as well could lead us to, to commit, but it, but it doesn't. So, um, so that's kind of the situation where uh, emotionally, People as they approach marriage uh, are, are in. Now, um, what can we do about this? Okay. Uh, in Cheap Sex, the book, I didn't really have a chapter on how to address this because I really didn't know what to say. It's a social problem. Uh, and I, I, you know, how do you solve this? But, you know, every, people were always asking questions what can we do? And I figured, you know, it's probably time to, uh, Write a chapter on possible solutions or things that people can actually do so I do that in uh, I think it's the fifth or sixth, sixth chapter of, of the book. Um, I offer eight suggestions, most of which are, are social in nature, uh, and most of which are kind of a double-edged sword. eight ways you could improve things or handled differently could blunder things. And I'll just give you a couple of quick examples of, of, of that double-edged sword before I go into sort of one uh, good way to, to, to help things. Uh, so you think about parents. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Parents give lots of relationship advice quite often. You know, Unless you're out of the household and living in a different city, uh, parents will often have lots to say especially as it relates to age or the particular person. Um, but this idea that, oh, you've got mom and dad at home, can't wait for you to, to get married. I mean, that may have been the case at one point in time. It's certainly, it's not the case today. Uh, if you think about this, this, this bygone era when people, you know, young adults would rebel against their parents uh, run off and and get married against their will, um, as an act of rebellion. Well, that doesn't that really doesn't happen much anymore. Uh, generally speaking, young adults are obeying their parents when it comes to relationships, and most of that advice from parents is about stalling. So uh, it's a double-edged sword. Parents can can make introductions to for their children. And I, I, I'm a big fan of taking out the intermediary of the 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 the, the, uh, the electronic intermediary. It's a little bit hypocritical that it's sitting right next to me. Taking that away in terms of like, and I'm not saying get rid of dating sites, etc., but like human intermediaries do know better than an algorithm. Uh, And human intermediaries have your good in mind and uh, want the best for you. Um, Digital intermediaries, the the profit motive means they want you to stay. And so they would rather you cycle through people continually and never settle down and get off of of the the dating site. Uh, So that's one of those double-edged swords, parents. Um, But one thing I think that is is less of a double-edged sword and more of a a pretty good idea, but difficult to accomplish um, is about kind of fostering marital subcultures in communities. Okay. I don't know a ton about the Catholic Information Center uh, but what I do know is, at least in my mind, is that there's kind of a circle of people in its immediate and a little bit wider orbit around it in the, the greater Washington area. Okay, um, This is good possibility uh, for creating kind of a sort of a, a marital subculture, a pro-marital subculture. Um, I know some of my friends up uh, in DC attempt to do this uh, in their own marriages, in their own homes, to make it a place where people can see good marriages at work, but also sort of to esteem them and give people a chance to meet, right? One of the things I talk about in the book uh, is that it's difficult to meet somebody in a very large church, like say an evangelical megachurch or a very large parish. Frankly, given the way Catholic uh, masses are structured on Sundays, like it doesn't matter if it's a big or small church. Like it, it, it generally the social life does not operate around its immediate Sunday mass. Okay, so you've got that parallel. So that doesn't work. Evangelical megachurch too big. Um, evangelicals will often say, well, how about the small group? The problem with the small group is it's it's too small. Right? There's not enough people. And People are always sort of weirded out about dating somebody in the small group because you know if it doesn't work out, which it you know numerically probably won't, um, then you've kind of screwed up the dynamic and the small group becomes awkward and somebody's got to leave. so people don't really like to date in small groups quite often. they're certainly taking a risk. so what is necessary is is a, a little bit larger kind of group um, maybe you know, 100 to 200 in size. Uh, that's the kind of thing that um, has the chance of kind of creating uh, sort of a, a marriage friendly subculture. I go on, on in detail in that chapter about uh, talking about John Paul II and his sort of uh, loose network that was called the short of Visco that operated in Krakow that kind of circulated around him as he was a parish priest. And then as he was archbishop and it, you know, he had uh, affection in it's heart for the, that same group of people. Not that there was any membership in it, but it's like you kind of knew if you were a part of that group. It translated loosely, according to George Weigel, who describes it in his book, into environment or milieu. It was about creating a subculture, uh, a social environment, wherein marriage was not the point, but it was kind of an, a fairly normal, Byproduct, you know, it's a web, a web of persons that revolved around uh, Carol Voitiwa from whom they received spiritual education, direction, and friendship, right? Friendship is kind of like essential in this, right? You know, when we think about like uh, some parishes and churches do kind of you know, young singles groups. And they're notoriously awkward, um, in part because the purpose is to meet. And I think that's probably not ideal. The purpose should be more faith focused, and the purpose should be to meet. And in that meeting, uh, around that meeting, uh, as long as it's sort of, you know, has the numbers and the consistency and the, the Christian leadership. This, these sort of things kind of happen. Um, another thing that reminds me of this is uh, my daughter's got a, 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 uh, an article coming out in, in public discourse here in a few days. I'm very proud of her. Uh, and she, she writes a little bit about uh, blessed Franz Jagerstatter uh, in uh, St. Radegund, Austria. And how did he meet his wife? Through a, a social club, that you know, this is a small town. They had three social clubs in a small town. Who ran them? It was the you know the young adults, right? They were for dancing, you know, a little bit of drinking. There was you know fights would break out, including Blessed Franz. Um, but we, you know, I, I never hear about. You know, I could, I live down the street from this large parish, like ten you know thousands of families. Um, there's no dances there. There's a great dance hall in it. This has got to be recovered somehow. People have to meet and they have to learn how to touch and interact in what, you know, what I call sort of uh, dancing is like a, a, a sensual, non-sexual environment. I just think it's really good. Uh, so this is the kind of thing that I think can rebuild little marriage little marriage subcultures uh, around the United States and around the West. So uh, it's a little bit like, you know, C.S. Lewis had this, and I'm, I'm butchering, I'm kind of tweaking his words. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. So here I am like, aim at Catholic subcultures where the emphasis is on the faith and the fostering of a richer, deeper faith. And, you know, basically maybe you'll get More weddings thrown in. See what results. So the point isn't to focus on marriage, the point is to focus on 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 God and our Lord and the Eucharist. Uh, But it's it's the the number the numeric dynamics have to be present. Now, uh, you know, so I think about the Catholic Information Center. It's one problem is that it's located in Washington, DC, which has like the hands down the worst sex ratio in the United States. There's, There's a lot more women orbiting uh, Washington than men. So uh, lots of people kind of recognize that. And that's, you know, that's life. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a problem that's, that's soluble in the sense of we have to recognize it. I talked a little bit about that in my last book. So um, I, I'm optimistic that things can be improved. I learned a variety of things, including a little bit about this short of disco uh, on the road different Christian communities and cultures um, have the means to focus on this. And it's in those kind of participation in those circles, not for the purpose of finding a mate, that it the odds of doing so tend to improve. So I'm gonna kind of call it quits there. Uh, usually these kinds of things, if anybody's watching or listening, will yield some questions and that'll take us up to our end of our time how about that
0: thank you so much mark Um, i have two comments uh one uh you must definitely uh be a texan i see the cowboy boots in the background there on the on the wardrobe true (laughs) Um, and then also uh regarding your comment on the cic and like the the sub-catholic cultures as being uh, a ground where people can network and you know not just foster their faith, but, uh, you know, hopefully foster relationships. Um, we have had this happen at the CIC on multiple occasions, Good. including with the Leonine forum. So it is great to see, you know, the fruits of the spirit that way. Um, it's awesome. So, uh, we do have some time for some questions for the audience. We've had a lot of people email some stuff in. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go through, and these are some sure. great questions that we've had come in. Okay. Um, so the first one is, um, you describe the heart of the marriage recession as a blend of uncertainty, ambiguity, individualism, and materialism. How do you see this as relating to the crisis of trust that young adults seem to be experiencing?
1: Today? Yeah, it's got to be fairly tightly connected to it. Um, you know, I don't read widely on sort of these sort of, uh, you know, philosophical crises and things like that, but what the, you're the questioner asks about is this sort of crisis and trust. And uh, you know, the, the moment that word came out of your mouth, uh, you know, I'm reminded of sort of our, our political crises, which fundamentally, uh, I think is is part, well, it's probably essentially about a, a crisis of mistrust of Americans that have in each other, which is just, uh, you know, it, it breaks the heart to, to know that like we, we Expect um, something well less than the good of us and from other people. So, yeah, it's a you know, well, you know, people have had their hearts broken. But like, I think this fundamental mistrust around our, our neighbors, etc., has to do a lot with our, our growing isolation. But it's also you know, centrally related to brokenness that has happened to people in their in their in their family lives. Um, the divorce rate you know, climbed twice in the 20th century. I should say surged twice. It surged after the second world war, but before the baby boom essentially, and then plunged quickly. Um, and then it surged in 1970 with the advent of no-fault divorce. And it never really went back down until fairly recently Uh, and the legacy of that is is really tough on kids. Um, We see the effect of of, of this. I mean, I I call it in the book, the parental divorce as uh, uh, the gift, so-called, that keeps on taking. Because if your parents got a divorce, like, and then you get married someday, like A, it's much more difficult for you to sort of trust another to get married, Um, but they've shown you how to leave. And so your own divorce risk in the National Study of Family Growth uh, is always higher than 50%. And it's always higher than the divorce risk of people whose parents did not split from year one of your marriage. So people talk about, oh, half all marriages is into divorce. Well, that's not true. Um, it's Overall, it's less than that, 40-something percent. But it a lot of it hinges on, like, well, what have you seen in your own life? So those who have seen it work, I mean, uh, our, we have three kids, and I, <laughs> my wife and I can bicker with the best of them. Uh, but they've seen us, you know, The the, the heart of the marriage is not at risk. They just get tired of us, you know, barking at each other sometimes. So, but it's a secure place for them as it ought to be. So I think you're the person who asked that question is, is on the money about trust.
0: Um, Our next question, um, I think, is a great kind of follow-up question um, to what you were just talking about. Um, So in your book, you note that as relationships become commodified, they are far more uh, um, apt to be considered disposable. So this, to me, seems to be a foundation that would be very toxic for marriage. So how can our communities combat this, and does this start with the nuclear family?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, Pope Francis talks a fair amount about this disposable uh, mentality and habits and he's right to do so um, because uh, you know, if, if anything in our you, know, you think about all the, the things that we interact with in our life I know mean, so you, you might stay in a house for many years uh, you might drive the same car for a long time like, but nothing Material really can we bear not to part with? You know, if a tornado were to strike Texas, probably not Washington. Um, you know, and wiped it all out. Like, you'd still want your family, your people, your relationships to be intact, right? Nothing else fundamentally matters like that. But when we think about like, ah, if I'm trained from youth to think that that our relationships come and go. I think a lot of people feel that way—that they're trained that that you can count on no one for the long term. Um, I've I've interviewed people for a variety of my my writings where you know they're just they're waiting for the relationship to fall apart. I just think that's 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 deeply unfortunate and sad. Even if you don't go looking for it, like they're just expecting that oh because they know that things fall apart, right? So uh, this sort of throwaway culture um, is uh, just, you know, you can't have a healthy marriage culture in a throwaway kind of world. It's just not possible. It's like oil and water. So um, any sort of subculture we might form has got to be, uh, prioritizing longevity and prioritizing solving problems. Uh, but I, you know, frankly, on, on the political left and right, I see very little interest in doing that. Uh, you know, clearly the hope is more in the church for this. And I, one of the things I concluded in the, in the book is that the future of marriage is a religious one, not because only religious people are married, And Christians, frankly, don't marry at rates that Muslims do. Uh, But we certainly marry at higher rates and and esteem the union more than people outside of the faith.
0: Um, Okay, so following up on that a little bit, um, I think this is a great question here. So do you think that marriage culture starts with the elite and trickles down? And if so, why?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, James Hunter has argued that sort of Culture is largely driven by elites. I remember when he wrote that, and I was like, yep, I think you're right. Um, this is why I could detect um, the sort of endemic uncertainty, high material expectations for marriage, etc. cetera, in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, Warsaw, Poland, Moscow, Beirut, Lagos, Nigeria. Like people have high expectations for it. And where did they get that? It's because everybody in the world can see how the other half lives or the one to five percent so the, the idea of marriage as being you know the, the beautiful wedding and um, uh, the, the fortunate life has that vision has been sold to everyone um, certainly has been sold to to the working class in, in America you know everybody kind of still likes the idea of marriage they esteem it and so sociologists will say that the reason they don't enter it is because they revere it so much because it you know it it looks it has to be a certain way and if the conditions are not right no way am I going to get in um so that uh but that vision doesn't come from nowhere that vision comes from the, the selling of that vision uh, by elites who ironically in the West and certainly in the United States are much more apt to live out marriage, including a stable marriage, but um, fail profoundly to endorse marriage and its importance and go to bat for it. So it's, uh, you know, they will disparage it in, 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 in public, on TV. Uh, academics will disparage it in conversation and on Twitter. And yet most of them, you know, get married and stay together. It's, a, it's unfortunate that uh, the sort of disparagement comes from the elite, because everybody listens.
0: So do you think there is a discrepancy between marriage access for college-educated Christians like, versus le- less-educated individuals? You know, what, would that, what does that look like to you?
1: Yeah, well, in the United States right now, um, having a college degree tends to predict getting married and staying married. Um, so w- w- well, so why is that, right? I mean, it used to be the other way around. It used to be sort of people who didn't go to college were more likely to get married fairly early uh, and by and large stay together, you know, until like the the seventies and eighties hit. Um, uh, But now it's like, if if we've understood marriage, not in its function as being different, but in its kind of how it's supposed to be manifested, how it's supposed to come to us, then, you know, it's like a college degree seems almost necessary, right? I mean, I think, I, I, I know people in the Catholic church who sort of can resist that and say, no, 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 it doesn't have to be like that, uh, which is totally true. But the average person sort of still feels like marriage and college degree is necessary for success, and success is necessary to get married. So they equate the two. And then when you know most of them wind up getting married, you think to yourself, see, it worked, right? Even though it's not really particularly relevant.
0: So these mile markers that you're talking about, like college or financial stability, do you even think that they're necessary? I mean, they, they, they are good things. It is good thing. They are good things. To have financial stability, but is it necessary for marriage? And what is your research saying yeah.
1: about- No, I mean, it's not necessary for marriage. If <laughs> you think about, it. if, it's, if it's necessary for you to have an expensive wedding and your parents aren't gonna foot it, then I guess you better get a good career first. Uh, And, you know, I I joke about that, but, you know, there are countries in which the expense of marriage is a major barrier. Uh, I saw it in Lebanon, saw it in Spain, saw it in in Mexico uh, to some degrees. In the United States, we're a little bit better about that. You know, you can you can have a cheap wedding and it's still legit. Um, uh, But it's not necessary. Uh, So what is... Not necessary, but helpful is parental support. So when my wife and I got married, uh, my, my parents were not as well to do as her parents. My, so my parents are gonna help us. So. Uh, but her parents helped us, not so much financially, but like they helped us get a foothold uh, when we went, came around to get a, uh, after we bought our first house, they helped us put in a, a new kitchen because they just wanted to. And I was like, wow, oh, that's nice. But it turned out um, not long after that, we sold the house and moved to Texas, but we made the profit on the house, enabling us to get a house in Texas, right? It's that kind of thing that parents can do for people, for kids, even if they're not you know, very well off themselves. Uh, but adults in the United States, parents typically think, ah, marriage, independence, you're on your own, right? Actually the LDS, Latter-day Saints, tend to think the other way around. Um, they know that you might meet, you know, you'd be in a more vulnerable position when you get married than when you're not married, right? So they tend to bless people who get married financially a little bit more than they would, you know, your, you know, your starving artist, college graduate student, kid, single, right? So we think about it a little bit different um, also, a lot of other countries, people just live with their parents until they get married. And I actually talk about in the book, you know, that's not the worst idea in the world, frankly. Why are we giving so much money to landlords, <laughs> right? You know, it's uh, we have some some sort of uh, pathways uh, and cultured ways of doing things here in the United States that aren't necessarily very marriage friendly. Functional for the economy, perhaps I get it. Uh, functional for independence, but you know there are times when I think you know the American economy just runs on uh, cars and home construction, <laughs> uh, not so much on sort of the, the uh, I should say house construction, not so much on the, the on what matters for making a home. So, um,
0: and that leads us uh, into this final question, um, which I think can really wrap up um, your your lecture well in your chapter chapter titled revitalizing christian marriage you reflect Mm -hmm. on some practical suggestions on how we can strengthen marriage and you talked on on some of these during your lecture so for those at home who haven't read your book or are likely not to um what's your one piece of advice to them as they move forward
1: in their relationships one thing so uh it would be different kind of pieces of advice for different people in different statuses. Like, so if they're already in a relationship, um, you know, I, I think of young adults in relationships, I, my my questions are often, uh, hidden, you know, revolve around, you know, where is this thing going? <laughs> uh, and, you know, the nice thing about, you know, being a student of this, I have no problem with asking strangers or near strangers in relationships like what are your intentions here boy uh, so I, I really like to sort of get people to think about their their relationships where's it going um, and, and and for her matter she won't want to be pushy but she wants to see something you know some move towards some uh, progress in the relationship but she doesn't want to ask and I try to embolden her to sort of uh, have that conversation because, uh, whenever I sit down or talk to young adults, uh, that's kind of the, the, uh, to couples, uh, that's kind of the, uh, elephant in the corner is the sort of stagnation that seems to be happening in, in lots of relationships where, uh, to me, you know, this, this answer to uncertainty is, um, you know, if these are two people who have good qualities and uh, a vibrant faith, and you claim to be in love well there's kind of one direction you should be going in and it shouldn't take you forever to get there uh it's not as simple of course for people who are not in relationships um but who wish to be and uh my 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 heart is with them because if people feel a vocation to marriage i think it's uh, the church's responsibility—not the priests, but the church's responsibility—to help move them in that direction, to help help them locate somebody. Now, that somebody may be different than who you thought it was. Uh, one of the stories I talk about in the book: this uh, young woman from Guadalajara. She just stopped looking for people who were like the quintessential person she thought she was, you know, going to find, and started looking for people with a little bit different qualities. Uh, and then she actually found someone and fell in love. Uh, I think that qualities meant that, you know, he wasn't the most attractive guy, but he had, you know, a good work ethic and uh, a respectable faith. Uh, but even still, you know, he wasn't in a hurry because he was worried about, you know, the financial conditions and this was, you know, pre COVID era. And she had just lamented. She's like, you know, I feel like we're losing our way. we we're, we're, we're she said, I, I feel like people are worried about uh, what they have more than who they are and like being rather than acquiring. Uh, I, I totally think she was onto something with that. Um, and I, I, I honestly hope that you know they managed to, to, to make it happen. She was confident that it, they would. Uh, so we who are married, have to be working actively on behalf of our friends who are not, but, but wish to be. And I think we can married. be part of that. So.
0: Stay married too.
1: <laughs> yes, give good examples. <laughs> they don't have to be perfect examples. They will not be perfect examples. Uh, give examples of endurance and problem solving because that's important.
0: Mark, thank you so much. That was a really insightful um, conversation. Um, you know, really. I want to personally thank you for taking the time and, you know, picking this career choice and this, you know, vocation that God called you towards not just marriage, but your career path. Um, and for bringing this really important conversation to light, um, and for offering the solutions that you do. So for those at home, please, you can purchase this book. Um, you can call us at the CSC. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I encourage you to read this. It's got a, t- a wealth of knowledge in it, very well researched. Um, and then some practical, um, solutions as well. Thank you again, Mark, and have a wonderful evening.